This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Ambulatory Surgery Center's podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Namir Haider, an interventional pain specialist at Omni Pain and Precision Medicine in Utica, New York. Dr. Haider is also on staff at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital in Washington, D.C. Dr. Haider, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you very much, Laura. It's my pleasure to be here as well. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about in the healthcare space, um, but before we dive into our discussion, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yes, well, I'm uh, actually originally from upstate New York. I grew up in upstate New York and did all my primary schooling here. And um, uh, so I established a practice here about 20, uh, over 20 years ago. I've also been working in the Washington, D.C. area over 10 years. Um, so I'm actually, you know, do, do a little bit of uh practice medicine in, in both areas, which are geographically quite distant from one another, but also it's interesting that um, the type of practice in each location is a bit different. Um, I've uh, been in the field of interventional pain medicine and uh, established my own surgery center here in uh, Utica, New York. It's a multi-specialty surgery center, and so um, I perform most of my uh, surgical-type procedures within the surgery center environment, but also um, practice within the office environment and do many office-based procedures as well, both in, uh, in New York as well as in the uh, Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. Got it. Wow, that, that's fascinating. So as you're splitting your time between the two areas, um, you know, how do you, I guess, really make that work and, and make both places thrive, practices in both places thrive? Well, I've been in practice for a number of years, and so over the years, I've really um, uh, changed some of uh, the dynamics of my practice and to really hone in on some of the things that I feel are um, what I enjoy practicing more and what I think are uh, really not available in the areas where I'm practicing, uh, both in New York as well as in Washington, D.C. So in the Washington, D.C. area, my practice is primarily, uh, at this point, is primarily of uh, regenerative medicine, as well as some mini, minimally invasive uh, surgical procedures, including uh, some spinal surgical procedures. My practice in New York is more of the regular bread and butter pain management, uh, where we even do some uh, opioid pain management uh, when necessary, but also uh, the, get, the whole gamut of various different kinds of interventional uh, pain therapies, um, including uh, treatments such as uh, physical therapy, chiropractic. We have our own diagnostics, including um, x-rays and CT scans, and then various different treatment options that we provide. And then um, from a surgical standpoint, uh, in the surgical center environment, we perform a lot of minimally invasive um, surgeries, including spine surgeries. And we work closely with uh, orthopedic spine and, and neurosurgery in providing some of the latest treatments um, that are available. Absolutely. Well, that that's amazing that you know you're able to um, have those two different areas and, and really um, get to practice medicine in both ways. I'm wondering, you know, considering where you're at and um, what you're doing with your practice, what are some of the top trends that you're following in healthcare today? Well, I think the number one trend that um, I'm following and that I'm very interested in, uh, especially with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has been telehealth. Telehealth is something that I was always very interested in, especially uh, in both locations, being in New York, being in upstate. We carry, uh, we treat patients over a large geographic area, many hundreds of miles away. Patients 
often travel hours to, to visit us and get treatments. And that actually happens in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area as well. We found that patients are often traveling long distances to see their uh, physicians. And in the past, you know, many of the, 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 the treatments we were providing, they had to be done on site. And certain surgical interventions and therapeutic procedures obviously have to be done um, in a setting uh, where the clinician is with the patient. But um, often uh, some of the treatments and some of the health care that we uh, can provide and disease management that we can provide, uh, if we want to provide it in real time, uh, making it convenient of the patient, uh, for the patient, um, it can be done very effectively using uh, telehealth and telemedicine. So the COVID-19 pandemic gave us, really forced us into uh, working uh, virtually and treating our patients virtually. And as a result of that, initially, it seemed to be very difficult for both the patients as well as the clinicians. But with time, we, we've all found that uh, there are many advantages of this type of, of uh, patient care. And, um, and, and I think that we've really uh, become better at providing good uh, telehealth services. As I mentioned, we can uh, treat various different disease states in real time, which often were not possible. And um, this really has been, I think, a positive for both patients and clinicians, and it, it enabled us to uh, continue working and continue providing care, uh, despite the fact that, um, you know, we may have been shut down and may not have been um, uh, able to provide such care. I'll give you an example of something that recently happened. Um, in my uh, clinic in New York, we we're in actually in a business park. And um, a, a big truck hit a, a transformer, and uh, the electricity for the whole business park went down. Now, our electronic uh, medical record or electronic healthcare system uh, record system uh, is virtual. So uh, when the electricity went out, we really couldn't uh, do anything because our phones, which are voice over IP, stopped working, and our computers uh, stopped working, and we couldn't uh, obviously even uh, get internet service. So what we did was I, I uh, took my scribe and we went to another location where we had electricity and we, we could get internet service and we actually called the patients back and we were to able to continue our day uh, just because we had uh, the option of providing telehealth. Obviously the patients that were in-house that day who were there for procedures, we couldn't perform and we had to reschedule them, but the telehealth visits continued and so this is a prime example of, you know, even with certain challenges, um, having telehealth as, as an option to treat patients can be very beneficial and very helpful. Absolutely. I think that's a really great point. And, you know, thinking about telehealth and the virtual care option, obviously, can be extremely convenient for patients as well when it's possible. Um, so I can imagine there's a lot to, to be said for having that kind of kind of connectivity. Um, in your expertise, what are some of the most promising devices and technology developments right now? And is there anything out there that you feel like is more hyped than, than making a, a difference for the patients? Well, I think one of the other things regarding the trends in healthcare, I think that, you know, the integration of data analytics um, and artificial intelligence into providing care is going to be a game changer in the future, not just in areas such as genetics and identifying certain disease states uh, and life sciences, 
but also in how we uh, provide care. An example of, of using um, artificial intelligence is in the field of radiology, where some studies have found that, that um, using AI can be um, equivalent in certain disease states to an actual radiologist, um, uh, at least for um, going through some basic uh, uh, disease states. Um, and using data analytics, I think this is going to help us as clinicians really analyze um, how we treat different disease states and find better ways to treat uh, patients. So I'm looking forward to having that information available to us and being able to use that uh, to provide better uh, patient care and better treatments in the future. Also, I think that one of the other things that is an important trend in healthcare is innovation. And I'll discuss some of the things that I find uh, as far as therapies and different devices to be very interesting. But I do want to mention that um, one of the things, and I think this has been noted you know, on the news and uh, in, the, in the newspapers, is that you know, we do have a issue these days with often having uh, certain um, various different uh, things that we may use from a supply chain aspect, whether it's um, uh, personal protective equipment or whether it's different um, things, uh, devices we use in the OR or whether it's uh, certain computer chips that we may be using for some of the robotics or other instruments that we have within the uh, operating room environment. And I think bringing manufacturing back to the United States and having, um, having uh, correcting our supply chain issues is something we, we as a society have to work on and we individually as healthcare organizations need to look into to problem solve so that we don't get um, you know, stuck in situations where we have to stop working because of those kinds of issues. But as far as your question uh, with you know, different uh, types of innovative things that I see, um, one of the things is, as you know, we've had an opioid epidemic um, over the past many years. And one of the things that was done in order to um, try to diminish the use of opioids was stricter guidelines across the board for prescription of opioids. And that's had a, a dual effect. One is, is that many of the people who may not have necessarily needed high doses or even opioids at all have been taken off. And, and I think that's very appropriate. But often is, is at the cost of, of people that really need medications, not getting them. Um, and so I think um, we've actually found that, uh, you know, deaths from, from opioid overdoses have actually increased even though they've implemented certain guidelines. But we as, as cl uh, clinicians are always looking for ways that are safe uh, to provide uh, pain relief for our patients that may not necessarily be medication, but other therapies. One of the uh, therapies that we've been doing for many years is spinal cord stimulation, which is actually a, um, a neuromodulation device that's placed within the spine that can um, modulate pain signals coming from the extremities, whether it's the arms or legs or back or neck, and um, decrease pain. So that's one of the things we've found that can be very helpful in in um, eliminating the need for various different opioids um, or other treatments. Um, also, one of the interesting things I've personally been involved in is the uh, application of peripheral uh, neuromodulation or peripheral nerve stimulation for various disease states. Uh, I was a primary investigator in a study we are just completing using uh, peripheral neuromodulation for treatment of uh, craniofacial pain and headaches uh, in a procedure that uh, we coined uh, the HALO procedure where we actually uh, stimulate and block some of the nerves of the head in order to prevent headaches from uh, from occurring. So that's been very, the uh, results are very good so far. 
um, in the study, and I'm looking forward to the final results um, uh, to show how we can we can effectively help people with uh, with those kinds of painful conditions with um, non-medication type options. Some of the other things in the field of pain management that have um, recently been introduced that we're doing, one of them is called the intracept procedure, where it's actually ablation of the vasovertebral nerve, which is a nerve within the vertebral body. What's often found is patients who have uh, certain things called modic changes uh, or uh, degenerative changes on their MRI in their um, end plates of the vertebral bodies often have what's called vertebrogenic pain. And this procedure, uh, in this procedure, we actually take a probe, place it within the vertebral body, and heat up uh, the interior of the vertebral body uh, to ablate that nerve to take pain away from not just the vertebral column, uh, but also potentially the spinal disc and that segment of the spine that's usually performed in, in the lumbar spinal region. Another interesting thing that's being done recently is um, application of various different allografts uh, for pain. Um, we're doing a procedure where we're placing intradiscal uh, allografts in order to um, help uh, regenerate um, uh, spinal discs. And um, the studies for that have also uh, seemed very promising, and it may be a way to treat pain coming from uh, degenerative spinal disc disease. Uh, so these are some of the interesting procedures that um, we've implemented, and um, we've had we've been having very good results. And as I mentioned, uh, these are much less invasive than some of the other um, uh, larger surgical procedures, which are necessary in some cases, but in many cases, we can help patients without necessarily going um, uh, the route of a, a more invasive surgery. Well, that's great to hear. And, and thank you so much for going through that. Lots of exciting things going on. Uh, before we wrap up our conversation, I was just wondering, is there anything else beyond the technology side of things you're excited about today and what might make you nervous? Well, what makes me nervous, because um, I'm living it right now, is the, you know, the coronavirus and um, the various different variants that are uh, still uh, you know, coming about. We're in, the, in New York right now. We're in the midst of uh, the Omicron um, a variant um, and the, the levels of uh, testing uh, that are being done are, have increased, but we're also seeing the positivity rates increase a lot. Most of the hospitals have, again, uh, canceled the elective surgeries uh, that can be done, which is pushing patients to the surgery centers, but because of the um, not only patients being uh, positive for this variant or for the other coronavirus variants, but we're also having quite a bit of staff that um, has become positive, and, and um, that's really inhibiting our ability to provide care to patients. But one of the good things that I think recently happened was the CDC changed their guidelines for essential workers, so um, reducing the number of days recommended for isolation. So I think that that is very promising and going to be helpful because from my um, you know, standpoint, I think the most important thing for us in healthcare is to try to safely remain open, but remain open and continue to provide care. Um, so, so that's essentially what, what's making me nervous because I feel that there may potentially be not just coronavirus, but maybe other types of situations in the future that, that could shut us down. And I think as a society, we need to find ways to manage this without being shut down. As far as what's making me excited, I think that, um, as I mentioned earlier, telehealth with 
um, with in-person care, if we can establish, you know, uh, a good hybrid model um, that works, uh, that way we can we can provide the most cost-effective, efficient, uh, and convenient care for uh, patients, uh, so that they may uh, get the care they need and deserve, um, and also um, provide the necessary care that needs to be done in person. But I think having a hybrid model that works for everyone that that can be accepted by society and insurance carriers, um, you know, hopefully we can come to a point where we have that. And uh, I think that's going to be a big plus for all of us providing optimal care for our patients. Oh, absolutely. I 100% agree. It sounds like there's just a ton of opportunity there. So hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll find a place where um, with the coronavirus variants, um, you know, we're able to, as you mentioned, stay open and stay operating, but at the same time, be safe. Um, and, and have that telehealth in-person balance that really makes sense for patients. Dr. Heider, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I really appreciate you being here and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me today.